Happy Halloween, fan Lebatardians! Ty here, reminding you to please follow, rate, and review the show. Five stars if you could be so kind. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Lebatard underscore fan. For this episode, we wanted to really lean into the spooky season, so we brought on an expert to talk all things horror and even share some of her original work. So with that being said, let's get spooky. Feel the darkness rise. Night It is my pleasure to welcome into the podcast today the creator and executive producer of Nightlight, the black horror podcast, Tanya Ransom, here on the Fan Levitard Show. First things first, Tanya, you good? I'm good. Ty, you good? I am good because it is spooky season and it is one of my favorite times of year. And what better way to celebrate spooky season than to bring in someone who can help bring the horror to us. And so for our listeners, first and foremost, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, Nightlight, and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, okay, so Nightlight is a horror podcast that features creepy tales written by Black writers and performed by Black actors. Um, I started it back in 2018, um, I knew I wanted to start a podcast, like before podcasts were even a thing, I wanted to revive old time radio. Um, <laughs> and then podcasts became a thing and I was like, oh, cool. This is going to be so much easier now. Um, and then I kept procrastinating and saying, you know, like I need a good idea or I don't have enough time or I don't have enough money. And, you know, like there's never a perfect time to start anything. And finally I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And right around that time, there was a report that came out from fireside fiction, that detailed the demographics of published writers for that year. So stories that were published um, in that year. And, you know, 13%-ish of the American population is Black, um, but only two point something percent of stories published were were by Black writers. Um, And I belong to a writer's group that is exclusively Black writers. And so we were talking about this report, you know, basically saying like, you know, what's going on here? Like, are we, you know, not submitting things? Are we self-rejecting? You know, is there something else going on here? And, you know, we didn't really come up with an answer, obviously, you know, it was just um, us talking about it. But one thing that we did talk about was why stories get rejected. So, you know, a lot of times stories get rejected just because they're not a good fit for that publication, or there's a structural problem to the story. You know, those are totally valid reasons to reject a story. But one thing that Black writers were hearing was the story isn't black enough and the story is too black. And some of the writers in that group had both ends of that spectrum, that feedback for the same story. So for one publication, it was too black. And for another publication, that same story wasn't black enough. And, you know, in both cases, the editors were white. So black writers are basically having to shoot for this arbitrary measure of blackness that's being decided by people that aren't even black. Right. Um, and so that's kind of when I was like, you know what, like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I wanted to do a horror podcast. I knew I wanted to do a horror podcast. Um, Get Out had come out a few months prior to me not launching Nightlight. 
Um, so black horror was definitely, you know, in style and people were seeking it out. And I thought, you know, this is a place where I feel comfortable, um, where I feel like I can make a difference. So it wouldn't be just about entertainment, although that's something that I do want to do with a podcast. Um, the other thing I want to do is increase discoverability of authors who have been traditionally marginalized, give readers an opportunity to broaden their horizons, so to speak, in terms of what they're reading and listening to. Um, and so that's how Nightlight came to be. What is it about the horror genre in general that draws you in specifically? Oh, <laughs> that is such a loaded question. Um, I do get asked this a lot. And I think for me, like I, I grew up in not the best sort of background. Um, and I think, you know, for me, from a very young age, horror helped me cope with a lot of the things that I was seeing in my life and it became a way for me to make sense of the world. Um, and so horror has always been kind of my safe space, so to speak. Um, it's always spoken to me, like even as a little kid, um, for folks who know me, they know that, um, one of the first things I ever wrote was for a school project in second grade, we had to do a picture book. And we got to bind it, you know, so they gave us like cardboard and like sticky paper, you know, to actually create a book. And my picture book was Michael Myers fan fiction because I had just seen Halloween. <laughs> and, and I was a good kid in school. Um, so when teachers called my parents, it was usually because they wanted to praise me in some sort of way. And, you know, of course, my teacher calls my mom and I think it's because she loves my story. Right. Like I totally scared her. I nailed it. And so I kind of got hooked on that feeling, not realizing because I was, you know, like eight or nine years old that she was probably worried about me. <laughs> had nothing to do with the story. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't put that together until years later, you know, after I'd already kind of gotten like, yes, I like scaring people. This is fun. Like I like being able to get a reaction out of people with just, you know, words. And in this case, bloody illustrations of a masked man with a knife in the air and bloody corpses on the floor. So yeah, yeah. Second grade, second grade me um, knew the future, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Have you gone back, like, you know, some parents, they, they keep hold of all that stuff as kind of like a scrapbook or a memory. Have you ever gone back and like reread some of the stuff that you were writing back then? And how do you critique yourself as like a second grade writer? You know, I wish that I could go back, but my mom like somehow lost all of the stuff that I did because I asked her like a few years ago. I was like, you know, hey, remember that picture book that I did in second grade? And she was like, no. And I was like, you don't remember like, you know, the teacher, you know, you went up for a meeting because I had to go to the meeting with her. Um, and I was like sitting in the corner playing while her and my teacher were talking. And she was like, no, no, I don't remember that. Like she has no recollection of this book at all. Um, she can't find like any of my school stuff. Um, cause, um, her and my dad got divorced after I moved out to go to college. Um, and when she moved out, she just didn't take a lot of stuff with her. And so like, it just kind of disappeared and now it's lost forever, which is super sad because I would very much <laughs> love to get my hands on it and just like flip through it again and, you know, post pictures on Twitter for people to see. <laughs> So I was I was kind of like you in that sense where I was really into writing at a young age. And um, typically when I would submit writing, it would come back with like a bunch of praise heap upon it. And 
so my mom, I guess, opposite of yours, did manage to like keep a hold of all that stuff despite divorces and stuff like that. And so I went back and read through some of that stuff. Let me tell you, you're not missing out on a whole lot because uh, it does not hold up as well as you might think it does. Oh, I'm sure it's probably terrible, but it would be incredibly amusing you know, just to see. If anything, the drawings, it, you know? if anything, it puts you in the headset of your teacher reading this and like, this child's got problems. Right. Something about this. <laughs> right. Yeah, what's funny is like I used to be a teacher, so I can totally put myself in that teacher's shoes. You know, although like I had students that um, wrote horror and because I taught English and I had students that wrote horror and obviously like I didn't think anything, you know, was wrong with them. And, you know, they were just like stoked to have a teacher that was like, wait, you don't think that I'm going to like kill everybody? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I think... I think horror writers are some of the nicest, calmest people on earth. Um, Now, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but every horror writer I meet is super nice and super compassionate. And I think a lot of that is because when you put all of that out onto the page, like you're just sort of exercising all the negativity that's in you. And then there's only room for good things and light to share <laughs> with other people, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. That's my theory. So that's actually kind of interesting so. because like, you know, you mentioned that. And then on the flip side, it is said that like comedians harbor a lot of pain. The people who are projecting the most laughter are harboring the most pain. So mm-hmm. what, is, what is happening there with that duality right there? Yeah, what, is, what, is, well, what is going on there? You know, I I think I think there's definitely a duality to it. I mean, just like if you think about um, like Jordan Peele's writing, you know, like Get Out, I think uses humor to sort of disarm you mm-hmm. in a way. So that way, you know, when the scare comes, you're really not expecting it. And so it's just a little more jarring than it would be if you didn't have that moment right before it that kind of made you chuckle. Um but I do think that they're two sides of the same coin, you know, kind of like um, the Greeks with tragedy and comedy, you know, the, the stories aren't necessarily always, you know, tragic or comedic, but I think that, I think that every story at its core is a tragedy or a comedy. And I don't necessarily mean comedy in that it makes you laugh or tragedy in that it makes you cry, just that, we have dark aspects within ourselves and we have light aspects within ourselves. And I think comedy is more of a lighter aspect, but you know, when I'm not a comedian, but I assume that, you know, if you're a comedian, you know, just like if you are a horror writer, like you're putting a lot of yourself into your work. And, you know, when, when you're writing things to make people laugh, I feel like a lot of times you are so focused on healing other people's pain that maybe you necessarily don't heal your own pain. Whereas horror writers, it's you got all this pain and you just figure out how to get it onto a page, you know, through some sort of metaphor, you know, the the stories are still, you know, at their core about something that you're afraid of. Um, But I think that horror horror's purpose is to scare other people. You know, ideally that's what you want to happen as a horror writer is you want to scare whoever's listening to or reading or watching 
your work. And if you're a comedian, you want people to laugh. And so you're projecting all of that out into the world. And so maybe there's not as much left for you at the end of the day, which is, you know, why I think horror writers are such great people because they get rid of all that pain and there's not much left <laughs> at the end of the day, you know? Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. If you have a horror writer in your life, befriend them. They will be the best friend you ever have. The most caring yes. and generous soul you will ever know. And run from the comedians, man. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no. no, but I mean, I really like, I mean, comedians are great people too. You know, don't, I'm not, I don't want anybody to take that away from this conversation. I just think that, you know, they, they put so much of that happy energy out into the world that it often depletes their own resources if they don't know how to manage it properly. Just like, you know, there are certain times when you're writing horror, if you don't know how to manage it properly, it can put you in a really dark place. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not able to sort of exercise those demons through your writing alone. So... Uh, when we talk horror, I think a lot of people immediately gravitate to things like ghosts, zombies, aliens, uh, the slasher movies, etc., things like that. For someone like yourself who is deeply invested in the horror genre, I'm wondering like what your favorite horror themes are and if things like ghosts and zombies are almost too cliche for you at this point. No, man. Okay. I love supernatural horror. Like that's my jam. Um, given the choice, I will almost always choose a supernatural horror movie, book, film, whatever, um, over anything else. That's kind of my favorite genre. I don't think, I don't think like zombies and vampires and ghosts are played out. I think a lot of the the more obvious stories have been done. And I think it's a little bit harder to come up with a unique angle on them. But I find that when writers do find that unique angle in those stories, that they're often better than, you know, sort of a typical angle on like say a slasher horror story. So when you consume horror, obviously you have a podcast that is dedicated to promoting writing. Um, as far as like movies, TV shows, um, I don't know if you play any horror video games, reading, stuff like that. What are some of your favorite things to really lose yourself in? Oh, um, anything Mike Flanagan does. He is my favorite director. I have not seen Midnight Mass yet, though. Um, my mom was, was just texting me the other night about that, raving yeah. about it. I've heard it's really good. So I'm going to watch it in a couple of days, like once I have, you know, a break where I have a moment to watch it. Um, but yeah, anything he does is something that I want to watch pretty much immediately. Um, I almost always lose myself in his work. Um, as far as like other things go, like I love the last of us. I just started playing that. Oh yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. So, you know, super into that. And I'm just like, man, I wish I had more free time. Like, I mean, the game is like always calling me and like, I'm like, nope, I have stuff to do. I have stuff to do. I can't do it right now. So I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, get through everything I need to get through so that I can play that game. Cause that, that's where I really lose myself is um, playing games. Um, podcasts, I feel like um, definitely lose myself in those, but more so like the old time radio stories. Like I, I still haven't found like a modern podcast that I like as much as I like old time radio. So quick, uh, quick tangent. How excited are you for the last of us HBO series? 
I did not know there was a Last of Us HBO mm-hmm. series. The first, the first, uh, I guess, screenshot was released the other day, and the casting, at least from behind, we didn't get to see their faces, but at least from behind, <laughs> the casting for Joel and Ellie looks spot on. So good. Really? Okay, very, I'm going to have to look excited. at that and see and see what I think. But I mean, just you mentioning it, I'm super excited yeah. about it. So yeah, I'm like, as soon as we're done, I'm going to immediately like look it up, <laughs> figure out, you know, what, what do I need to know about this? And when is it coming out and all that? So I can, I can block off my calendar maybe. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, cause you had mentioned it a couple of times now, um, the movie get out, I feel like was a really a really big jumping off point for I guess black horror in the mainstream media. Jordan Peele, I think everyone, myself included, was surprised to see him come out with this sort of project because yes. you know we knew him from Key and, P- Key and Peele. This is the guy who, right. who makes all these jokes. He's super funny. What is he doing? Right. Uh, absolutely crushing it in the horror genre, and he's been doing yeah. it since. So I guess I'm wondering, like, basically, like how influential is he? in in the i guess the entire realm of like black horror as i guess like this entire yeah. all-encompassing thing because i do feel like he really shown a spotlight on it in a way that really made a lot of people pay attention who probably otherwise wouldn't have yeah well i think in the black horror writing community he's not necessarily an inspiration because of his work but because of the doors that he's opening for us all, um, you know, black people have been writing horror forever. You know, it's mm. nothing new. Um, you know, a lot of us are inspired by, you know, Stephen King and Dean Koontz and, you know, Jordan Peele is still fairly new to the horror game, you know, at least in terms of, you know, work that the public has been able to consume. Um, so I wouldn't say like, he's a huge inspiration for black horror writers just because pretty much every black horror writer I know has been writing since before Get Out. Yeah. <laughs> came out. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he's not inspirational, like absolutely he is, but you know, in terms of being like a big influence, I don't really see that a lot. Um, maybe trailblazer I, is, is a better word than, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's opened a lot of doors. You know, he made black horror. Um, he made it obvious that black horror could make money, you know, cause I mean, back in the 70s, there were black exploitation films because movie movie studios wouldn't give black directors and black actors, you know, any sort of money really to um, to make a film. So, you know, it's it, it has been a it's been a very segregated industry. And, you know, black people, I mean, even growing up, like I remember watching movies and, you know, yelling at the TV, like, now, you know, you shouldn't run upstairs, you know, because a black person would never run upstairs. They never run down in the basement, you know, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, all of these, you know, cliche things that you see, you know, especially like these teenage girls do in horror movies, you know, like black people are always yelling at the TV or, you know, and you, most people have heard the phrase, well, you know, if there had been a black person, the movie would have been over by now. We would have been like, nope, but I. I hear strange knocking. Nobody else is here. I'm moving out the end, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, and Jordan Peele created a movie that showed that black people can stay in a horrific situation. Now, you know, granted, like the way that he did that, you know, showed that you can be, you can have a really smart protagonist who does all the right things and still ends up in a really bad situation. Now I'm not saying Jordan Peele was the first director writer, 
to do that. You know, absolutely not. But that was a big issue, I feel like, with horror movies and with Black people consuming horror movies because it just didn't feel realistic to us. Like, you know, why would you stay in a haunted house? Like, leave. <laughs> you know, walk out the door. Turn turn the doorknob and go. Like, it's not hard, right? Um, so I think that he proved that you could have Black people in a horror movie who were smart, who made all the right decisions and still ended up in a really bad situation and could triumph at the end of that and not, you know, die at the end, like, you know, the guy from Night of the Living Dead did, or, you know, like at the beginning, like every other <laughs> black, um, black person in a horror movie does, you know, they just disappear early. And, you know, he, Jordan Peele proved that you could have a black horror movie where the people behave like black people would expect them to behave. And you could make a lot of freaking money doing it. And he opened that door for more black writers and directors to come through. So you had mentioned something there that I wanted to ask you about, you know, growing up as a black horror fan, um, I'm sure you were cognizant of the trope that like, oh, the black person always dies in the horror movie first. And if not even that, the fact that if there was a black character, they were typically adjacent to the protagonist and had significantly less character development. Or if there was mm -hmm. a sequel, they were subsequently killed off very quickly. Um, was that something that you were cognizant of at an early age? And if so, how did that shape how you viewed horror movies and just um, horror art in general? Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the first horror movies that I watched, I have four brothers, by the way, three of them are older. Um, and my dad loved horror too. So I got introduced to horror super young. Like most parents would be like, there is no way you should let a nine-year-old child watch Candyman or Halloween. But you know, my parents were like, it's all good. And Hey, I'm making money out of it. So <laughs> it's not too bad, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the first horror movies that I watched was Candyman. And, um, you know, my dad was a big fan of really all kinds of movie movies, but we watched a lot of black movies um, in my household growing up. And so most of the TV that I had and film that I had watched up to that point in my life featured black people. Um, you know, we watched a lot of BET, the movies that they would play on BET shows, that kind of thing. So I had never really been introduced in a movie to, you know, black people being treated as side characters. Um, and so when I first started watching horror that wasn't starring black people, um, you know, I did definitely notice that, you know, it, it, a big black man would usually be the one, the first one to fight off the monster and die just to show like, you know, how big and bad the monster is like, oh, well, if he can feed a big black dude, then that must be a really bad monster kind of thing. And, you know, I definitely couldn't as a child, um, put that into words. I just remember feeling like, feeling like a lot of the characters were throwaway characters, mm. you know, and I couldn't have told you, Oh, well, they, they're just there for character development. You know, like I, you know, 10 years old, I don't know anything about character development. Um, so, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on why it didn't feel right a lot of times, but I definitely knew that it wasn't, that something wasn't right about it. So the hashtag that accompanies your podcast is hashtag pay black horror writers. For those of us mm -hmm. who may have missed some truly spooky pieces of writing, 
Are there any writers that you would recommend for newcomers to either the horror genre or black writing specifically? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's, let's talk the big names first. So Tanana Reeve too, um, amazing, amazing writer. She's got um, stories published everywhere, books published everywhere. She's a screenwriter as well. You cannot go wrong with Tanana Reeve too. Of course, Octavia Butler. Um, you know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna read black horror sci-fi, you got to read Octavia Butler. Um, if I were to recommend what to start with, I would say read Octavia Butler's Kindred or Fledgling. Both of those are really really good. Um, Tanana Reeve Do's My Soul to Keep is also really good. Um, if you're looking for new and up and coming writers. Um, Zen E. Rockland is an amazing writer. I've had a story of theirs on the podcast um, before. Um, they've got a novelette coming out, I think October. Yeah, October. Um, Flowers from the Sea. Yeah, Flowers for the Sea. Um, but yeah, the great, great writer. Um, love the work that they're doing. Um, and I think that they're gonna, they're gonna go really far. Um, Danny Lore, they're taking off too. Um, they're a comic book um, writer mostly. Um, but you know, obviously they've written prose too, but that's where their career's really taken off right now. And I'm just so, so proud of them. They're, they're, they're a great person. So um, yeah, Danny Lore, Zenny Rockland, definitely check them out um, if you're looking for new black horror writers. Um, outside of black horror man, Stephen Graham Jones can do no wrong. <laughs> like everything I read that he does is freaking amazing. Um, just, you know, he, he's probably one of my biggest inspirations for the work that I do. And so speaking of the work that you do, <laughs> it would not be spooky season without a spooky story and, I believe you have something for us tonight that'll get us uh, in the mood. Well, I hope that it gets people in the mood for spooky <laughs> season. Um, yeah, so this is a story that I wrote on Twitter a few years ago called I'll Never Take a Nap Again. Um, I do write stories on Twitter. Um, used to do it pretty regularly. Now I just do it occasionally. Um, my son helps me with them. So um, if your listeners want to see some of the photographs that accompany the story and the um, bloody makeup that he and I did. <laughs> and I think there's even a video of him, like he smeared himself with the, the fake blood that we made out of chocolate syrup. And he walked around the house pretending to be a zombie. And I think I attached that video to the end of the story. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll have to, they'll have to follow me so that they can see the pictures that accompany the story, but I will read the story to you now. Now, Tanya, before we begin, I uh -huh. am a person who loves a good nap. I took a good nap today. <laughs> Is this going to put me off from napping forever? Um, I mean, I'm a big napper, and it didn't put me off from napping. So. All right, that's all I need. That's all I needed so, to know. We'll see. We'll see. But there's not much that can discourage me from napping. So I guess it just <laughs> depends on how strong your will to nap is. Uh, the medication makes it incredibly powerful. <laughs> well, then there you go. You should be fine. <laughs> All right. Um, with that being said, Tanya, the floor is yours. Take it away. All right. I'll never take a nap again. So I took a nap on Saturday. I'm reasonably, reasonably sure it'll be my last nap ever. 
When I woke up, there was blood all over the throw I was using as a pillow because I didn't intend to fall asleep. I mean, there was a lot of blood, so I figured it was a nosebleed. I've never had one, but I knew they were bloody. So I go to the bathroom to wash my face and I see this. And then there's a picture of me with blood all over my face. So of course I take a picture because it was weird, but also kind of cool. And that's when I see this, pictures of me sleeping. Now I was home alone. My kid went to the skate park and went to run some errands. There was no one home, but me and the dog. We had an alarm system and it keeps a log of what doors open and when they lock and unlock, same thing with windows. So I check the alarm system while I get my gun and lock myself in the bathroom. The app, of course, takes forever to load. Finally, it finishes and nothing. No doors or windows have been opened. Nothing's been locked or unlocked. So obviously, I'm freaking the fuck out. And then the doorknob starts rattling. Then there's a scratch at the door. I pray it's my dog, but I'm not sure. So I don't move. I hold my breath, strain to hear any little sound. The dog whines and I'm relieved, but then I'm also still scared because I'm a horror writer and what if it's a monster mimicking my dog? But I open the door because surely it's not an actual monster, right? And there's my dog, teeth bared, the hair on his back standing on end, that guttural growl. So I close the door because I ain't going out like that. So there I am in the bathroom, blood all over my face, scared to death because shit is super weird but I'm a problem solver. There's an explanation for the pictures. The dog growled because I had a bloody face. I wash my face and I don't see any cuts. So it must've been a nosebleed. I open the door and my dog is fine this time. Now I've got to figure out the pictures, but I'm not quite ready to leave the bathroom. So I bring the dog in with me and sit on the floor and start scrolling through the pictures. Most of them are of me sleeping, but then there's this. And it's a picture of me looking at the camera with blood all over my face. I have no memory of this at all. At this point, I'm crying and scared and I have no clue what to do because WTF. And then I hear the chime on the alarm. A door or window in the house just opened. So someone either went in or someone either went out or someone's coming in. And then I hear my kid giggling and I'm crying because holy shit and I'm happy that he's home but I wait for him to come to me because I'm not that sure it's actually him. So he comes in and it's obvious I've been crying and that I'm totally freaked out. So he asks what's wrong. I tell him and show him the pictures and he grabs the gun and starts sweeping the house. I'm trying to be cool so my son doesn't freak. After a few minutes, he gives me the signal we use to say that it's all clear and safe. So I venture out. Then I find something in the kitchen right beneath our skylight. There's blood on the floor. There's blood on the wall too. I still have no idea if the blood on my face or in my kitchen was mine or someone else's. I have no idea how the pics of me got on my phone. All I know is there was a trail of blood from my living room to the skylight in my kitchen. And then it stops. After I realized that we weren't in any danger, at least not anymore, and I calmed down, I cleaned up the blood on the wall and the floor. And then I started bleeding, or at least I thought I did. I wiped it away and there wasn't a scratch or anything on me. So I look up 
and I swear I saw a shadow pass over the skylight. And then I hear something on the roof. It sounds too big to be a squirrel or raccoon, but too small to be a person. And it sounds like it's dragging itself with a thump every once in a while. And then it stops. I don't see any more blood on the skylight, so I don't know where the drop came from, but I do know it was delicious. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tanya Ransom, an original piece of horror. I have so many questions about that. Um, <laughs> Shoot. Go for it. So, okay. So, my mind immediately goes to, okay, so you have a shape-shifting demon of some <laughs> sort roaming about the house. What were you what were you going for in that? What 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 did you want the <laughs> listener to be envisioning there? Um, okay, so this story is actually kind of weird in that... Um, it's true. All of it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, people thought it was true at first. Like, people were, like, offering, like, when I was posting it on Twitter, people were like, you know, have you called the cops? Are you okay? Like, you know, has your alarm company called you? Like, they were DMing me, and I'm like, it's just a story. So now, like, anytime I tell a story on Twitter, I always preface it with story time so people know <laughs> that I'm not in any danger. Um but uh, but yeah, so I actually did wake up from a nap with blood on my face. And I was like, oh, this would make a really cool horror story. Um, and I don't know, man. I This was the first story that I ever wrote on Twitter. And, um, you know, it, that's just where I wanted to tell it. And I had no idea what, I was, <laughs> what story I was going to tell. I literally had that first tweet in my head. And that was it. You know, like, and that, you know, I was going to have blood on my face um, after waking up from a nap. And like, from there, like, I mean, I just winged it and <laughs> happened to work out. So I didn't really have like anything in particular that I was going for other than like, when I started writing it, I knew that I wanted the ending to be unexpected in some way, but I had no idea how it was going to be unexpected. So the ending was literally as much a surprise to me as it was to the people <laughs> who were like following <laughs> the thread um in real time you know they're you know tweeting me like oh what's going on you know what's happening and you know then you know they were shocked by it as i was because like i literally did not know that that's how i was going to end it until i sent that tweet <laughs> um so yeah i mean i i guess that probably wasn't a great story to get any insight into my writing process because there <laughs> literally was no process for that one <laughs> Now, I mean, I, I'm not a big plotter to begin with. Like, I have a really difficult time if I plot out a story. Um, I get bored with it by the time it <laughs> comes time to write it. And so then, you know, I, I have a whole outline, but then I never get around to writing it. Um, and if I do, I end up like, you know, swerving left at some point because I'm bored with the thing that I've already, you know, I've already sorted this story out in my head. So, you know, I'll go a completely different direction. Um, but I do try to like loosely plot things. I usually have a beginning, um, like beginnings come to me way easier than middles or endings. Um, I'll be like falling asleep and a good first line for a story will pop into my head and I'll, you know, grab my phone and take a note and then forget about it, you know, until I look at my notes again. But, um, but I try to have my beginning and at least an idea of how I'm going to end it. Um, so there's a story that's going to be on the podcast this month, um, that I wrote that, um, it's called family recipe. And I knew when I started writing that story that I wanted it to be about cannibalism, but I didn't want the reader to know it was about cannibalism until, you know, at least halfway through the story, 
but I knew that I wanted another twist to it as well because the cannibalism wasn't enough of a twist. I needed another one. <laughs> um, and so I needed, um, I needed something else that I don't want to spoil in case people do want to go listen to it. Um, but, but I just, I have very loose ideas of my beginning and my end. And it's not until I write it and really like think about and reflect on why I wrote what I wrote that I'm like, Oh, that's what this story is about. But um, I generally don't have an intention for what I want people to believe. I want, I tend to be very open-ended in my writing. Like I want people asking questions. I want them to come to their own conclusions about things. Um, I do intend to mislead a lot. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't, you know, I don't want, I don't want you to think this, you know, person who is sweet and innocent is actually sweet and innocent. You know, like I I want there, I want there to be a twist of some sort um, to it. So I do intentionally mislead sometimes, but everything still is very technically true. So, you know, if you were to go back, you'd be like, oh, like that's still like, okay, you know, well, she did this. So that's, you know, that didn't discount that. Like I thought it did. I just assumed that it did kind of thing. So if that story got people in the mood to be spooked, how can they find your podcast? How can they support your podcast and the work that you are highlighting and producing? Okay. Um, you can follow the podcast at nightlightpod.com. Um, all one word, night and light spelled just like normal English words, nothing cutesy. Um, <laughs> you can find me at nightlightpod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also follow me personally at mystifying, M-I-S-S-D-E-F-Y-I-N-G. Excellent. Tanya Ransom, once again, the creator and executive producer of Nightlight, the Black Horror Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real treat, and thank you for sharing some of your original work with us. And most importantly, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much for having me.